Television evangelist Pat Robertson was recently under fire because of his comments suggesting that the disaster in Haiti was the result of God's judgment for their sin. Is this true? Does God send curses and blessings upon countries for their actions as a nation? Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 was God's promise to the children of Israel. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Then the judgment is in verse 15. I'll read verse 15 and 20. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. America was a nation unique in history for being founded upon the precepts of God's word. Not only was it governed by God's word, but the Holy Bible was taught as truth in the classrooms up to and into the 20th century. Although America did not have the advantage of thousands of years of human development like other nations did, it soon rose to become the world's economic and industrial superpower. It was the world's chief lender, and people were coming from every nation to make a life here. Deuteronomy 28.12, And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Today, however, God's word has been cast off so that any mention of his name is strictly forbidden in the schools. On a recent discovery by General David Petraeus that the military's privately manufactured rifle scopes made reference to a Bible verse on them, he referred to the Bible verse as disturbing and quickly had them removed. Because of America's sins, it is now the world's chief debtor nation and is stricken with crime and health problems. God's word stands true to individuals as well as nations. Who will be a partaker in God's eternal blessings? Have you made that personal commitment? Are you personally born again? Choose life while there is still time. See further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 25 and 31, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God said, Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-three. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. God said, Jeremiah 51.34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. Man said, according to evolutionist Michael Ruse, evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. Now the record. Skeptics regularly clamor for proof of the truthfulness of God's word, but when evidence is provided, it is largely ignored or ridiculed in an effort to discredit it. 
Dr. Dennis Swift was once a staunch evolutionist. He had studied a numerous, at numerous universities and colleges, obtaining three postgraduate degrees. However, during his studies, Dr. Swift stumbled upon some evidence that seemed to contradict his entire belief system. He encountered evidence that he had trouble ignoring. The following is from his book, Secrets of the Stones and Nazca Lines. In 1979, while exploring the enchanting Anasazi Indian ruins at Chaco Canyon, my rigid Orthodox academia mind received the jolt at the ranger station. I picked up a copy of Canyon Country Prehistoric Indians, and as I thumbed through the pages, my heart skipped a beat, for staring back at me from the book were a series of astonishing statements concerning dinosaur graffiti done by Anasazi Indians. Fran Barnes writes, There is a petroglyph in Natural Bridges National Museum that bears a startling resemblance to a dinosaur, specifically a brontosaurus with long tail and neck, small head and all. In the San Rafael Swell, there is a pictograph that looks very much like a pterosaur, a Cretaceous flying reptile. So far, archaeologists have chosen barely to mention such oddities, but sooner or later the problem of extinct or anachronistic animal rock art must be scientifically studied and resolved. The Indians had to have seen real live dinosaurs to draw them accurately on sandstone cliffs somewhere between 400 A.D. to 1200 A.D. An Indian looking at a fossil skeleton of a Diplodocus dinosaur could never have known that the dinosaur had a long neck and tail and small saurian head all from a pile of jumbled discombobulated bone puzzle. I tried to pass off the dino drawing as an anomaly of oop art floating out of some Indian's fossil memory. Carl Sagan tried to account for the spread and consistency of dragon legends by saying that they are fossil memories of the time of the dinosaurs come down to us through a general mammalian memory inherited from the early mammals, our ancestors, who had to compete with the great predatory lizards. Memories, memories, memories from 65 million years ago, I told myself. Then for a moment, my intellectual knees began to buckle. It was going to take a lot of faith to believe that such a memory could be passed through up the evolutionary chain from mammals to animals to man, end of quote. Dr. Swift searched further, and he ran into more unexplainable drawings done by ancient men from around the world. One such painting of a brontosaurus was done by the Bushmen of Rhodesia, present-day Zimbabwe, whose history spans from 1500 B.C. until a few hundred years ago. Scientists were perplexed. Again, Dr. Swift. Hmm. Another dinosaur in the attic of a bushman's brain becomes so real that the bushman paints his portrait on the walls of a cave. Even evolutionists started struggling to explain such embarrassing enigmas. The bushman rock art paintings appeared to be proof positive that they had first-hand knowledge of dinosaurs. The science journal Ichnos made such an admission. They wrote this. The Bushman left cave paintings, the outline of an iguanodontid in a bipedal stance with reduced forelimbs and other details remarkably compatible with our present-day enlightened understanding of the ancient creatures. Ammunition here for creationists. It was also around this time that Dr. Swift decided to go and investigate the infamous dinosaur stones of Ica, Peru. The ancient stones of Ica, known as the Ica burial stones, range in dates from 500 years before Christ to 1200 A.D. 
Well over 11,000 of the stones have been discovered and contain pictures engraved on them etched by the ancient people of Ica. Hundreds of the stones contain accurate drawings of dinosaurs and other creatures that were purported to have been extinct for 65 million years. Although the first record of the stones comes in 1535 from a Jesuit missionary with Pizarro, the true cachet of the stones did not come to light until the 20th century. Unbelievers began looking for ways to escape the obvious. Most of the stones reside in the museum of Dr. Javier Cabrera in Peru. It is claimed by skeptics that Dr. Cabrera hired a local peasant, one Basilio Ushuya, to uh, carve the controversial stones as part of a hoax. Dr. Swift ventured to Peru to meet personally with those surrounding the controversy. Dr. Swift continues. Upon my arrival, Dr. Cabrera graciously greeted me and opened his museum without restrictions, allowing unlimited access to the stones. I had photographs that were taken in 1967. What captivated my attention was that several of the stones had depictions of the brontosaurus, not with a short skull, but with a long skull. One of the photographs taken in 1967 is of a much younger younger Dr. Cabrera sitting at his desk, and in front of him is a huge stone with different dinosaurs carved on it, including a brontosaurus with a long skull. My research confirmed that the stones of the long-skulled brontosaurus were still in the collection in 1979. Two researchers, David Berman and John McIntosh at the Carnegie Institute, brought to light that the museum, excuse me, the museum mountings of the brontosaurus had the wrong head. Now we know that the brontosaurus had a long, sleeker head and pencil-like teeth. Up until 1979, the animal looming over museum visitors, plodding through science fiction movies and appearing in comic strips, has had a short snout and broad leaf-like teeth. How did paleontologists remain fooled for almost 100 years? Why do the stones in Ica have the right head drawn on the dinosaur? I do not think it is sheer coincidence that the Ica stones correctly portray the brontosaurus. It is impossible to have known what the brontosaurus looked like from the source of information in the 1960s when the stones were added to the Cabrera collection. Dr. Cabrera has been suspected as the mastermind, but not even he could have been aware that the brontosaurus had the wrong head. End of quote. The correct head on brontosaurus was not the only biologically accurate characteristic that the Ica stone showed about dinosaurs before being verified by science. The stones also showed some of the seropod dinosaurs with spinal ridges uh, going down their backs as well as other dinosaurs with rosetta patterns on their skin. It was not until 1992 that fossilized skin impressions were found that proved the Ica stones to be correct. It was also once thought that dinosaurs walked with their tails dragging behind them as many museum displays show. The Ica stones, however, showed the dinosaurs walking with their tails sticking straight out Almost every dinosaur track that has been found shows no sign of the creature dragging its tail. Dr. Swift managed to track down Basilio Yeshua, the, present, uh, uh, the peasant named as the one responsible for engraving all the Ica stones, and Dr. Cabrera's museum. Yeshua lived in a one-room mud shack with no electricity or water. He survived on $20 a month. Even with the offer of money, he insisted that he didn't own any of the stones and had not seen Cabrera for years. 
Yeshua admitted he had carved fake stones to sell to tourists. Dr. Swift asked him if he would be willing to carve him a stone of a dinosaur. Yeshua was unaware of what a dinosaur was, but said he would carve one if supplied with a picture. Dr. Swift gave him a picture and returned the next day as Yeshua was putting the finishing touches on it. He used a broken hacksaw blade to make the engravings. After hours of work, he was finished. Dr. Swift now had an official fake Ica stone to compare under a microscope with the ones of the museum. On his way back, Dr. Swift had met with some grave robbers whom he had befriended on a previous trip. They told him of a burial stone that was recently found in a tomb. The tomb contained a well-preserved mummy with its head resting on an Ica burial stone. The stone contained an engraving of a dinosaur. Some of the mummy's blood had leaked onto the stone and left a stain. The stone was unquestionably authentic. Dr. Swift contacted the Peruvian authorities and asked if he could take the stone back with him to America to be tested. Dr. Swift took three stones back to America with him to be tested. The fake Yeshua stone, a dinosaur stone from Dr. Cabrera's museum, and the recently discovered stone from the Nazca tomb. The three stones were taken to Mason Optical Incorporated in Portland, Oregon. The tests were conclusive. The Yeshua stone was an obvious forgery, with very shallow incisions and minute specks of blue metal from the hacksaw that was used. There was no patina or film of oxidation on the stone. No microorganisms or saltpeter was found on the stone. The engravings on the stone from the Cabrera, Muse Cabrera, Cabrera excuse me, Museum were determined by the laboratory to be of some age. There was a fine patina covering the grooves and incisions. Natural ox oxidation had slightly colored the incisions, so they did not have a, a bright white look. No evidence of modern tool usage was found. It was difficult to determine the actual age of such a stone because there is no way of dating engravings on a stone. However, many ancient artifacts are dug up in the American Southwest that have very little or no patina on them. F.G. Hawley, an experienced uh, chemist, wrote, Many artifacts in dry western countries show little or no patina after seven or eight hundred years. The fact that the stone has patina on it at all would indicate that it is probably much older than seven hundred to eight hundred years. The third stone found in the Nazca tomb was also determined by the laboratory to be of considerable age. It had heavy coats of pat uh, patination and oxidation. Microorganisms could be seen in the grooves and the incisions. The cuts and incisions are as dark and weathered as the rest of the stone. The dark stain on the stone underwent numerous tests to genetically determine whether or not it was blood, but the tests were inconclusive as a result of its great age. One of the forensic scientists who examined it, though, went on record saying that he had no doubt it was a blood stain of ancient origin. The skeptics were not satisfied. They claimed that the only way to determine the validity of the stones was to do an on-site examination. Dr. Swift accepted their offer and contacted the Cabrera Museum for permission to conduct the test. A group of skeptics, believers, and neutrals were invited to the event. Approximately 40 people attended. Each group was allowed to choose five stones for testing, and all groups agreed to the testing procedures. The examination lasted most of the day, while some 40 stones were tested. Again, the tests were conclusive. None of the Cabrera stones contained any of the telltale signs of forgery that the critics said they should have had, and they showed no signs of deliberate attempts to falsify age. 
all the Cabrera stones showed consistent signs of patina covering the grooves indicating they were of ancient origin. Dr. Swift concluded by saying there was a deafening silence that descended upon the critics because they could see every indication of a degree of antiquity. The stones have been examined and validated by numerous experts. Joseph F. Bloomrich, a NASA scientist who designed the Saturn V rocket and helped design Skylab, spoke of the stone, saying, I am deeply impressed by what I have seen here, and I am happy to have found so much direct evidence of what I began to feel and understand before. There is no doubt in my mind about the authenticity of these stones. It's really time for the evolutionists to face the doleful music. Their poster child, the dinosaur a name coined in the mid-1800s meaning terrible lizard, did not become extinct 65 million years ago, but lived contemporaneously with 6,000-year-old man. Such a reality is noted in numerous features on God Said, Man Said. Just a sampling of points follows. The Bible, in numerous passages, mentions and describes dinosaurs, sea monsters, and fiery flying serpents. Multiple ancient civilizations describe these creatures. Not-so-ancient records, a couple of hundred years, report these so-called prehistoric creatures. They read like a police blotter. The Chinese love affair with the dragon is legendary. England reported dinosaur activity in 216 locations, giving names to some of these places, such as Dragon's Green, Sharp Flight Meadow, and Dragon Horde. The Science News issue from April 24, 2010 speaks of an ancient globe of the Earth dating to the 1500s that has engraved over Southeast Asia the words, Here be dragons. Now fast forward to the red-faced evolutionists when scientists discovered and confirmed the impossible, soft tissue and dinosaur bones. God's word is true and it never changes. Thousands of years ago, God described these awesome creatures, and yes, they lived contemporaneously with man. God said, Genesis 1, verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God said, Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-three: Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. God said, Jeremiah fifty-one, thirty-four: Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. Man said, according to evolutionist Michael Ruse, evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. Now you have the record.